the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. It's eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on a Monday morning, the 18th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thank you so much for being with us. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. We've got a lot of important things to talk about today. Uh, our regular 935 guest is going to be in the air, unfortunately. His flight took off late, which means it's going to be uh, landing late, which means we're going to miss Jim Jordan. He has been rescheduled for Thursday morning. We will talk to Ohio's 4th Congressional District Representative. Very much looking forward to that. We've got a lot of things to discuss with him, but that'll wait, and we'll discuss them with one another. We will, however, be talking with uh, Josh Hammer again today. We talked to him just a few weeks back. Um, uh, he's a, a Newsweek uh, a writer, among other things, and um, we're going to talk to him at, what time is that going to be? 10.10, I believe it is? 11.10. That'll be in hour number three. Thank you very much for the clarification, Johnny. I'm just trying to find my schedule in front of me here, and it seems to have disappeared. So we'll talk to Josh Hammer coming up at 11.10. And, oh, by the way, that gives us two hours, essentially, of free-for-all Monday. We don't normally do that. But two hours of, and not necessarily free-for-all. 
I should probably amend. I'm going to give you two hours of opportunities to call, but I do kind of want you to stay on topic. I do have a few different directions that I want to go today. So I welcome you to be a part of uh, the conversation. But, uh, yeah, Josh Hammer wants Joe Biden to resign, and uh, I'm not sure I agree. And I'm going to discuss with him uh, as to why. And it should be fairly obvious as to why. The answer, of course, is that the alternative could be far, far worse. That's just the reality of the situation. You know, when we talk about our children, I know for this group, we all believe that when we talk about the children of the community, they are a children of the community. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> Resign, Joe, but uh, only if you could take Kamala with you, if there's a double resignation. No, then it puts us in an even worse situation, doesn't it? Yeah, we're going to have to stick this out uh, for a little while, at least until there's a new Speaker of the House. Then we can get the two of them to resign, then that would be a little bit different. So we'll talk to uh, Josh Hammer about that, but uh, in between now and then, as I say, wide open for you at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will get you to me. Don't forget, you can also leave a message for me on the sound off button on the webpage that is the companion piece to the show, which is alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. US, click sound off on the right hand side and toward the top. It's a red button, you can't miss it. Click that and then leave a message for me. We'll play it on the radio and then we will indeed talk about it on the radio as well. Now, before we get started with the news of the day, I'm going to ask you to rise, patriots. Go ahead and face your flag if you have one nearby. If you don't, that's all right. We won't uh, blame you or punish you for it, but go ahead and face one if you have it. And uh, put your hand over your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer in the Myth, and that's what they call it, that there is no such thing as a good a good guy with a gun. There's no such thing. Guns are evil. They're intended to kill. That's all they're made for is to kill, 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 kill. That's what they're for. If you believe that the founders, if you believe that the authors of the Bill of Rights were mistaken by granting us the right to keep and bear arms because there's no such thing as a good guy with a gun, well... You don't understand that flag at all. You don't have to pledge your allegiance to it. You're exempted from that request. Go ahead and take a knee over there next to your favorite ex-quarterback over there in the corner where you're kind of like out of the way of the rest of us. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Yeah, let's just dive right into the lead story of the day as far as I'm concerned. And this, of course, is, um, you know, the dispelling, if you will, of the myth that there is no such thing as a good guy with a gun. Because I seem to have found one and it didn't take very long to look. Sadly and tragically, of course, there was another shooting, another quote-unquote mass shooting. It was going to be a lot more, probably a worse much worse mass shooting than that than it ended up being, and the reason, of course, that it wasn't much much worse is because of a good guy with a gun. Um, this terrible situation played out in Indiana in a mall just yesterday, Greenwood Park Mall in Greenwood, Indiana. An unidentified suspect, described only as an adult male, entered the food court there and opened fire on patrons. Five victims were wounded, three of them died before a 22-year-old stranger, didn't know him, didn't know anybody else, from Bartholomew County, Indiana, pulled out his 
concealed weapon and shot the suspect, killing him before any more innocent lives were lost. The Greenwood police chief there, James Eisen, said this. Uh, LEOs reporting, uh, self-reporting from home when they, when they heard about it. Um, IMPD SWAT team members were here uh, just as quick as ours were. Um, it was a very, very fast response. But I'm going to tell you, the real hero of the day is the, the citizen that was lawfully carrying a firearm in that food court and was able to stop this shooter uh, almost as soon as he began. What can you tell us about him? I'm sure if you want to tell us his name, that'd be great. But I can tell you that he's a 22-year-old male from Bartholomew County, and that is all that I, that I can release at this time. Except for the fact that he is indeed exactly what the chief said, and that is a hero. I have made this statement, this pronouncement, many, many times, not that it takes any deep thought. I'm not doing anything that you can't figure out for yourself. But I I, I feel the need that every time we have an incident, every time we have a shooting, particularly if it's an intended mass shooting of strangers in a public place like a grocery store or a church or a synagogue or in a shopping mall or whatever, or parade, Every time we see one of these situations, the ending is always the same, isn't it? Whether it's three people who die, or 13 people who die, or 19 people who die, ultimately, the situation only ends when a good guy with a gun arrives on the scene. Right? Every single time. And it's always one of three ways the situation ends. With either... A good guy with a gun showing up starts firing back at the bad guy who's slaughtering people, and the bad guy says, I don't like this. I don't like being shot at. I just like shooting at people. And they drop their gun, and they put their hands in the air, and they surrender, and they're taken under arrest. Either way, the shooting has stopped. That's number one. Number two, the bad guy with the gun continues his slaughter until he is shot and killed, essentially committing suicide by cop. Or number three, the good guy with the gun turns his, or excuse me, the bad guy with the gun turns on his gun on himself and kills himself. But none of these things happen until there is another gun on the scene in the hands of the good guys. And we talk about this repeatedly, and I feel the need to repeat it again. Do you want that gun? that is going to come and be the gun that stops the slaughter with one of those three methods to be minutes away or seconds away. If your answer is the gun should be seconds away, then you support the Second Amendment right not only to keep but to bear arms, to carry your weapon concealed in public, in public places. You oppose... The idea of the stickers on the, on the doors to the shopping mall, to the school building, and everywhere else that say, this is a gun-free zone. Guns are prohibited. Because those are not only the most youth, useless signs that I think you can put up on a business or in a public place. They're more than just useless. They're worse than just useless. They're dangerous. The sign that says gun-free zone is an open invitation for a potential mass killer to come in there knowing he's going to be able to do some damage before the good guy with the gun that fires back at him shows up. 
He's going to know that. Compared to the sign on the door that says, Concealed carry, welcome. If you're a bad guy and your intention is to take as many lives as possible, which, which door do you walk into? The door to the building that says, Gun-Free Zone? Guns Prohibited? Or the one that says, Concealed Carry Welcome? Where are you going? You know exactly where you're going. Because the one with the Concealed Carry Welcome might have somebody like this 22-year-old hero. And because he was there, five victims and three fatalities, instead of 15 victims and six fatalities, or 25 victims and and 15 fatalities. We have no idea, but all we can do is look at the numbers, look at the shopping mall, in, or uh, excuse me, the grocery store in Buffalo, look at the school in Uvalde, look at all of them. The longer it takes for the good guy with the gun to show up on the scene, the more lives are lost. These situations always end the same. Some good guys got to come and fire back at the bad guys. Then they drop and surrender, or they drop and run, or they drop, uh, or they shoot themselves, or they go ahead and get taken out in a hail of bullets themselves. Greenwood Police Chief James Eisen explained it appears that the suspect had a rifle with several magazines of ammunition, entered the food court, and began shooting, but was stopped when the Good Samaritan with a, uh, that was armed observed the shooting in progress and shot the shooter. Uh, panicked witnesses from within inside the mall described chaos as having heard probably about 20, they say, shots fired, triggering a stampede and suggesting how much worse the situation could have become if the as-yet-unidentified 22-year-old who stopped the suspect had not taken action. Mark Wright, an employee in the food court, told Fox 59 in Indiana, quote, as soon as we heard shots start popping off, there was at least 25 to 30. My guys all hit the deck. It was a scary situation. I've got some new kids working. They were traumatized by it. I never expected this here at this mall. It was chaos, said Mark Tilbury describing in his eyewitness account from the food court. It was like an animal kingdom in there. We just ran out the doors at every exit. We had people going into locked gates, putting them in the back of stores. Of the two other victims injured in the shooting, one remained hospitalized, but the other, a 12-year-old girl, was released having only suffered abrasions during the incident. That's good news. Governor Eric Holcomb, who signed a constitutional carry law earlier this year that went into effect on July 1st, released a brief statement regarding the shooting. Quote, I am monitoring the ongoing investigation in Greenwood where Indiana, Indiana State Police are assisting local authorities. Lives were lost today, and I'm thinking about all the victims of this horrible, horrible incident, now and in the days and weeks to come. End quote. I would pause there and give the governor credit. I would give the governor credit for simply thinking about victims and thinking about the, the, the horrible uh, situation at hand, rather than saying, see, told you, because he signed the constitutional carry law that allowed the 22-year-old to be armed in that mall that stopped the shooter before much, much more damage could be done. Now, I'm going to say something else that's going to sound controversial, but I don't want it to, and I want you to understand what I mean, okay? This is important. This is important. The shooter, according to the report from the, poli- the police chief, 
was armed with a long gun, a rifle, with multiple magazines. According to witnesses, 20 to 25 to 30 shots were fired. All right? Now, this individual struck five people with with 25 to 30 shots, potentially. I'm using this to explain something. When the left tries to tell those of us who believe in the Second Amendment what kinds of guns we can have, and they say, why would you need a rifle with that much ammunition? Biden always says this, right? You must be a terrible shot. How many shots does it take to take down that deer? You must be a terrible shot if you need a, you know, that much ammunition. Nobody needs that, that many rounds. Nobody needs 30 rounds. That kind of thing, right? The reason this is difficult to explain, of course, is I don't want the shooter to have hit anybody, the bad guy, right? But my point is, it's not easy to hit moving targets. So, if the moving targets <clears throat> made it difficult for the bad guy, <clears throat> excuse me, to shoot these people, this is exactly why, <clears throat> excuse me again, a little frog in the throat. This is exactly why civilians, American citizens, gun owners, Second Amendment supporters, everyone who has a right to defend themselves ought to be able to have a weapon with however many rounds they feel they need to stop a potential threat on their family, in their home, in their place of business, wherever they might be. It's not easy. It's not easy. Ask anybody who has ever taken gun training. Ask any police officer how hard it is to shoot a moving target. And then you get people who think that Hollywood is reality and tell you, how oh, didn't you just shoot him in the leg? It's hard enough to hit a, a, a full-grown adult center mass, particularly when they're moving, much less uh, at a, in a leg or to wing them. The reality is it's difficult, even with a rifle, even with a lot of rounds. And that's why every time I hear Joe Biden and every time I hear everybody on the American left saying, ban, quote, unquote, assault weapons, weapons of war, military style, all these other euphemisms that they have for an AR-15, a semi-automatic weapon, uh, saying you don't need that many rounds and you don't need that kind of firepower. Don't tell people what they need. If there are multiple um uh, multiple uh, suspects, multiple intruders in a home invasion, or whatever the case might be, you can't just be trusted, or excuse me, you may not. It's your choice. It's your call to say, do I trust myself with only six bullets in my in my handgun to be able to hit the, the, the multiple intruders that are coming in for my family? Or do I want to make sure that I have more? I hope that's clear. I, of course, don't want good guys, or excuse me, bad guys to have guns at all, whether they be high caliber, lower caliber, semi-automatic, uh, whether they be uh, you know, ARs or, or Glocks or whatever. I don't want them to have any kind of guns if they're bad guys. But I want the good guy to be able to respond with whatever is necessary. And in this case, thank God there was a good guy on the scene. Thank God there was a 22-year-old from Indiana who was taking advantage of the constitutional concealed carry law that was passed in in uh, the state of Indiana who was able, in that food court, to identify the shooter and drop him. Thank God. It is not always that easy. It is not always as easy as just taking a single shot or even a couple of shots and stopping somebody who's in the middle of a terrible rampage in such a way. 
So that's just a huge, huge story. And you know the left continues to say there's no such thing as a good guy with a gun. They want you to believe that that's a myth. They want you to believe that a good guy with a gun is just a made-up story so that we can all have our obsession with firearms met, so we can satisfy ourselves by, by owning as many guns as we want. The good guy with the gun is always, my friends, always the end of a mass shooting. Whether that good guy is a civilian in this case or a police officer in the other cases, good guys with guns always stop the mass shootings. It's just a matter of how long you want it, want them to take to get there. All right, 926. We'll take a time out here. We'll uh, get our newscast, and we'll come back, and we'll open up the phone lines, too. 216-901-0945. A lot of news to get to today, but this one's a huge story. Stay with us. Always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer. In the age of unreason, always write radio with Bob France and the answer. 936, always write radio on AM 1420, the answer. The real hero of the day is the the citizen that was lawfully carrying a firearm in that food court and was able to stop this shooter uh, almost as soon as he began. That is the uh, chief of police um, and uh, in uh, Greenwood in a Greenwood Park uh, Mall food court. I guess the town is Green. You know, it's Greenwood County. I'm, I'm checking. Yeah, Greenwood is also the city. So it's Greenwood Correction. Greenwood, Indiana is the city. Bartholomew County. I apologize. Trying to get all that stuff straight. I don't live there. Uh, but that's the chief of police there in Greenwood, Indiana, and he is describing exactly what happened there and that there is a, uh, a hero on the scene, and that hero is a civilian who carried his concealed carry weapon legally and shot and ended that terrible, terrible shooting. By the way, um, the fact that only five people were hit is a miracle considering how many shots he fired. That was the point that I was trying to make. Um, whether you're a bad guy or a good guy, it is not always easy particularly in a time of stress, uh, to be as accurate as you're trying to be. And thank God this guy was not. We don't want the good guys to have that problem and be, darn, I couldn't hit the target, and now I'm out of bullets because some government bureaucrat told me I can't have more. And that's exactly the point that I'm trying to make there. So uh, thank God for that hero uh, shooter in uh, in Indiana, that law-abiding citizen who ended that threat. And thank God the situation was not much much worse, because it obviously very, very easily could have been. All right. Now, the story that the press is going to tell about that is a little bit different. The press is going to tell a little bit of a different story because they have to downplay the idea that a good guy with a gun can be effective in stopping shootings, stopping killings. It's what their their, their mission is. Um, and should you believe them when you hear them? That's the question. Well, I want to bring this story up because it is, uh, it is another very difficult one to comprehend. How it is that the, the left and the press, and that's repetitive, that's redundant, because the press is leftist, how it is um, that they can continue to control narratives without having any uh, track record of honesty and accuracy. That's the real question here. And I use that to bring up the story about what NPR is doing. Now, NPR, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm not a fan of NPR because guess what? I compete with them. I do radio. NPR is national public radio. Some people may want to listen to the NPR instead of listening to me. So it might sound like this is just a gripe between competitors. It's not. Number one, I pay for national public radio to be on the air. 
against me. You pay for National Public Radio. It is exactly what it sounds like. National Public Radio, NPR, is publicly funded by federal tax dollars. I say, okay, well, that's bad. That's not good. Where are you going with this? Here's where I'm going with this. Now, you remember Nina Jankowitz, right? She was the one who was supposed to be the uh, new uh, uh, chair or the new director or whatever of Biden's planned government disinformation board. Nina Jankowitz, the lunatic who denied so much of what the uh, 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 Biden laptop was about in the weeks leading up to the election in uh, in October of 2020. You remember she, the purveyor of misinformation and disinformation, went in every place that she could find saying this is false. This laptop is a is a plant. It's a hack. This is a. Uh, this is a Russian disinformation campaign. Remember that? And then, then she got appointed by the Biden administration to be the disinformation czar, if you will. Well, that quickly got crushed because of, well, what I just described. And it went public and it went viral who she is and what this board was going to do. So that was quickly scrapped. Now we come to part two or maybe the second effort. Federally funded NPR, National Public Radio has now created the disinformation reporting team. The disinformation reporting team, again, by NPR, federally funded, and you better believe in the hip pocket of the Biden administration. NPR's Nancy Barnes, SVP, that's Senior Vice President of News and Editorial Director, and Terrence Samuel, Vice President and Editorial uh, Executive Editor, announced in a note to their newsroom staff that they were la- launching their disinformation reporting team. How about that? The problem with NPR being the arbiter of what is information versus what is disinformation is, is they are no more credible than Nina Jankowitz was when she was appointed to lead the government's version or the uh, uh, Homeland Security version of this disinformation governance board. Why? Because NPR did the exact same thing. They spew misinformation like a fire hose. They open it up and spray it on the people every day on NPR. And yet they're going to then tell other people what's real and what isn't real when it comes to information. NPR did the exact same thing that Jankowitz did when the Hunter Biden laptop was was uh, was first announced or was first revealed. They they called it Russian disinformation. They said it's discredited. It's nothing. It's not real. Don't pay any attention to it. That was NPR's reporting. This is going back now, as I said, to um, October of 2020, because that's when this whole thing first came up before the election, which is when it should have been grabbed by every news agency, including NPR, and investigated and explored. You know, journalistic curiosity, which used to be a thing, to say, oh my goodness, is one of the two major candidates here uh, in some serious trouble because of his son's dealings with China and other overseas entities? Was he selling access the son, to the Obama White House by way of Vice President Joe Biden? We better look into this. Instead, they buried it, including NPR. They claimed that it was discredited, the entire laptop was discredited by American intelligence, by U.S. intelligence and, quote, other media. So 
this is an organization that has trafficked in, dis- in dis- disinformation, excuse me, an organization that has essentially, um, you know, m- declared themselves to be part of the Democratic National Committee in the same way that CNN and MSNBC, along with the networks, ABC News, CBS News, and NBC News, have all essentially said we're going to print and we're going to write and we're going to report and we're going to go, going to go on air and on our digital platforms with whatever makes the Democrats look the best. And now they're going to actually have a role as a disinformation campaign. And you don't think they're going to coordinate and collude with the Biden administration themselves? There's no chance that they don't. The New York Post, John Levine, along with many others, saw this story over the weekend and pointed to their dismissal of the laptop story as evidence that they cannot be trusted. And as such, how can they continue to be publicly funded? Why should money that comes out of my paycheck go to NPR so that NPR can spew lies and misinformation back to me about what's going on in my government? particularly as it pertains to candidates. How on earth is that reasonable? How on earth is that justifiable? How on earth is that legal? We don't want to waste our time on stories that are not real stories, and we don't want to waste the listener's and reader's time on stories that are just pure distractions, they said. That's what the NPR said at the time. We don't want to waste our time on stories that are not really stories. Now, fast forward, here we are in July of 2022, and the laptop from hell, Hunter Biden's laptop, is still bearing extraordinarily poisonous fruit. It is still more and more forensics are being done, more and more is being pulled from it, more and more information that shows Joe Biden absolutely was engaged with his sons over the overseas business activities and that his son was profiting from it, and that he, Joe Biden, was, as the big guy, getting a percentage of it. Selling access to the White House, to foreign enemies, to enrich your son and your family and yourself, is more than just treasonous. I mean, it's impeachable. He should be absolutely, this this stuff should, there should be a, you know, there's a January 6th select committee. And, of course, you'll never have this until after um, uh, November, and this is why they are fighting so hard to stop us from winning in November. And when I say us, I don't mean Republicans. I mean American citizens who absolutely care about the truth and who want to stop the destruction of this country by liars and deceivers. That's why they so desperately want to try to stop this red tsunami, because as soon as we, the American people, take, take over and take power back, there will be an investigative committee to study the Biden laptop. There will be. You notice, we, we got to stop calling it the Hunter Biden laptop, by the way. It's the Biden laptop because it's just as dangerous, and it implicates the big guy, Joe Biden, as it does anything having to do with the crack-addled, whoremongering son of his, uh, Hunter Biden. The most recent, of course, being the revelation that at least on 25 different occasions after Hunter Biden had overseas business meetings, he met with his father at the White House. Records show that. So yeah, I'm sure Joe or excuse me, Hunter is just back from Beijing and he goes in to meet Pops a day later at the at his office in uh in uh in the White House and Joe is just gonna say, How was the food? What was the scenery like? Not 
Tell me what's going on. Tell me how much you got. Tell me what the deal is. What do you need, son? Give me a break. NPR now is going to be in charge of deciding what of that is real and what isn't. The House Judiciary GOP also pointed to the NPR dismissal of the Hunter Biden story in response to the news as evidence that they cannot be trusted, and they should not be trusted, nor should they be government-funded. John Cooper wrote, Our government-funded agency shuts down its disinformation board and sets one up. That's exactly what they did. They shut down the Nita Jankowitz-led one and now opened one up through NPR. Your entire organization is a disinformation team, said Sean Davis to NPR. Federalist CEO and co-founder Sean Davis uh, said the uh, uh, entire organization is disinformation. Mark Krikorian from uh, Center for Immigration Studies saying, do you think you're putting out, uh, putting, excuse me, don't you think you're putting out enough of it already? Talking about the disinformation team at NPR. Uh, Fox News contributor Molly Hemingway also responded to the news saying NPR has been, quote, little other than disinformation team for many, many years. And they're all right, of course. This is exactly what they are. Uh, And the worst part is, like I said, I can't say squat about CNN. I mean, I can criticize it, but I can't complain about its existence because it's a free market. We are a free country. That is a free market. And if you there is a market for people who don't want to watch it, even though the ratings are tiny, uh, whatever, that's fine. They can do that. But I'm not paying for CNN. I don't buy CNN. I don't. I don't. I don't fund their operations. So I can just sit here and complain about it because you know I've got just like they've got the freedom to operate. I've got the freedom to speak. But uh, when it comes to NPR, it's a different element than CNN. It's a different element than MSNBC because I am paying for it. You're paying for it. We're paying to be lied to by an organization, NPR taking our federal tax dollars and doing the work of the DNC, doing the work of the Democrat National Committee, doing the work of the Biden administration, calling real serious allegations against uh, Hunter Biden and thus Joe Biden, calling them government disinformation, excuse me, Russian disinformation, uh, and dismissing it. It could have changed the course of history. As a matter of fact, I'll say that. And I'll say that with confidence. The... Decision by NPR, by the mainstream media, by literally every single one of the news networks and every major newspaper except for the New York Post, to not cover the Biden laptop back in October of 2020, changed the course of American history. It changed the course of human history. All of us have been changed by that decision. There was only one major news outlet that would report on it. That was the Washington Post. Remember what happened to them? Or, excuse me, the New York Post. And you remember remember what happened to them? They had their accounts suspended by Twitter. And I think by Facebook, too. No one else would touch it. Not the New York Times, not the Washington Post, not the L.A. Times, not the Cleveland Plain Dealer. No one would touch it. They acted as if it was just completely invisible. And that changed human history. Because if they had told the truth about that at the time, Joe Biden in no way, shape, or form would have been elected or selected or whatever you want to call the mess that was the 2020 elections. No way Joe Biden is president of the United States right now. No way we're paying five bucks a gallon for gas or 450 or whatever it is now as they fist bump one another over the fact that uh, gas has dropped a little bit over the last month. Uh, completely ignoring the fact that it was raised to sky-high prices, the highest in all of American history. Now they're bragging about a quarter. But anyway, none of this would be happening if NPR and others had done their job at that time.
And I think everybody needs to understand that. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 955, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. I wasn't sure if I was getting the rejoiner there or not, so I'm sorry for the delay. All right, so um, I just mentioned the gas, I just I ha- and I had to do it, and I have to do this. Um, I, I had a quick remark that I made to a group uh, on Saturday, or Sunday, yesterday, beg your pardon, yesterday. I was talking to the Totally Engaged Americans uh, of Lorain County, uh, a couple of other strong conservative groups. They were there at the VFW Hall in Elyria. Uh, having a little uh, Great American Family Picnic. It was a nice event, nice event. Uh, and I got a chance to go there and give a few remarks. I was talking about the gas prices, highest sustained gas prices in American history, highest sustained gas prices in American history, including the highest ever, uh, at a national average of over $5 a gallon. And now it's down a few cents, uh, and they're bragging about it. But um, I made a few remarks. And by the way, thanks to Kirsten Hill for the invitation and for the other folks uh, there uh, who invited me to come and speak. I really enjoyed my time there. I'm sure I ticked off Nathan Manning a little bit when I announced that neither he nor his mother should be in the United or in the uh, uh, Ohio uh, uh, General Assembly because uh, the Ohio Senate is a disaster. It is filled with squishy rhinos who do not, do not do their jobs and do the jobs of the American people. And Kirsten Hill should be elected to take Nathan Manning's seat in this Senate District 13. Uh, he was in the House. I didn't know, and I said <laughs> and I criticized him. I would have criticized him to his face if I'd have known he was there. It didn't matter. Anyway, I don't want to chase that, uh, but I just want to say thanks to them for having me. But I mentioned gas there, and I mentioned it in the last segment, and I need to mention it here. The Transportation Secretary of the United States of America is Pete Booty Judge. And Pete Booty Judge um, gave a little speech there, did a little radio interview or TV interview, I guess this was. Uh, it looks like just by the uh, Chiron, it's Big Boy TV, whatever that is. I don't know where this was. I don't know when it was. Well, I do know when. It was over the weekend, but I, I don't know where it was. I just I don't care. But what I do care about is what he had to say. The answer to these high gas prices is, of course, get rid of your car and buy an electric vehicle. Electric vehicles, according to Kelly Blue Book, the average price for an for an EV is around fifty six thousand dollars. That's the average price. Can you get some for a little less than that? Yup. Can you get some for a lot more than that? Yup. But that's the average price. That's extraordinary. But this is what Pete Booty Judge had to say about that. Uh, hold on a second. Let's make sure that this is in the right place. Now we'll do it. Come on, Pete. Well, I'm having a little bit of a glitch. My apologies. Or for cutting the cost of electric vehicles, because when you have an electric vehicle, then you're also going to be able to, to save on gas, but you've got to be able to afford it in the first place. Right. right. Now, we're actually starting to see on some models the, the costs come to where even if the, the, your car payment's a little higher, your gas payment will be a little lower, and you come out ahead. But- I'm going to stop it right there. He wants you to think that if you go from your car payment to a car payment for an electric vehicle, the difference of which is going to be astronomical given the $56,000 average price tag I just told you. But you won't pay for gas, so therefore you'll come out ahead? Did he say you'll come out ahead? 
He did. Listen again. See, on some models, the the some models, some models, he's saying the prices are coming down. So what is the average price now? Fifty four thousand, fifty five thousand. Is that what you're saying? The insanity of this man and his gangrene, uh, uh, you know, colleagues who are screaming for an end to fossil fuels, including the president of the United States, who said, I promise you, I promise you, we will end fossil fuels. This was what he told his, his followers uh, in, the, uh, in the campaign. So you got all of these guys promising an end to fossil fuels, and that means the transition to EVs. On some models, the, the costs come to where even if the, the, your car payment's a little higher, your gas payment will be a little lower, and you come out ahead. But- um. <clears throat> the interviewer who talked to Pete Booty Judge there um, neglected to ask what I think is a pretty obvious question here. What if I don't have a car payment? Hmm? What about the millions and millions of Americans who don't have car payments, who are driving their paid-for cars, who are driving, who took out five-year car loans, and are on year six or seven now and plan on driving their car for a long time to come. What about the millions of Americans who don't have any car payments at all? You want them to get rid of their gasoline engine cars that are already paid for and buy a $56,000 average price EV so that we can save on gas? And you think we're going to come out ahead? This is the transportation secretary speaking for Bidenomics policy, speaking for Bidenflation policy. Pete Booty Judge is a guy that wants to be president of the United States. And it's moments like these and statements like this that I'm going to save and I'm going to remember when he tries to primary coming up in 2024 take another run at the White House. 1001, right back. Always right. Radio AM 1420, the answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Our number two is underway on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Thank you so much for joining us. It is a Monday, the 18th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thanks again to the totally engaged Americans and the wonderful Great American Family Picnic I was invited to yesterday. Even though it rained, we were able to be indoors then, uh, thanks to the VFW Hall there in Illyria. I appreciate the opportunity to come out there and talk with some great people. I had some very, very sweet people who literally said that they were counting on me and they count on me every morning and uh that's that's uh, first of all i said please don't do that (laughs) that's a lot of pressure but i have to tell you um i i appreciate it i do it means there is some value to the things that we're doing on this program each and every day and i hope it does uh it does help a little bit i hope it helps in terms of strategy i hope it gives a little bit hope i hope i uh open the eyes of people to let you know exactly what's going on that needs to be stopped what needs to be reformed what needs to be corrected uh so i do try to do that each and every day all right phone lines are open to you this hour at 216-901-0945 i have one guest coming up at 11:10 
Josh Hammer, uh, syndicated columnist with Newsweek and others, uh, is calling on Joe Biden to resign. And we're going to talk to him about that. But I want to talk about the other side right now, and that is the Republican side of the presidential aspirations, if you will. Listen to this. It's my neighboring state. I'm here all the time. I was here just earlier this week. Um, um, I'm down here all the time. These are kind of people that are exactly like my people and family, and I'm a huge fan of John Wayne, too, so what's the reason not to come to Iowa? Um, the, I'm a lifelong farmer and rancher, and and this is just Kim Reynolds picked up the phone, asked me to come to this conference, and I said, absolutely, I'll do anything for Kim. But quickly, if, if the former president decides not to run, is it something you would even consider in 2024? I'm on him running. Yeah, I, he he had America right where we needed her. His policies were right, so I'm counting on him running. That voice belonged to South uh, Dakota Governor Christy Nome. in case you couldn't figure that out, and she was talking about why she was in Iowa. And the news story today is about more than just visiting Iowa. Christy Nome is running ads in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, among others. And you say, so? Well, let's figure out what those states are. You kind of know by now, don't you? She's campaigning this year for a second term as governor in her very, very heavily red state. Uh, she's running an ad bragging about the state of South Dakota, the wonderful job that they have done there. Listen to this part. Get back on that horse and ride. It's what my father taught me since I was a little girl. His sweat built our ranch and his love held our family together. But it all came crashing down when dad died in a tragic accident. I lost my hero and we nearly lost our livelihood. Through grit and God's grace, we kept going and our ranch was saved. Over the last two years, South Dakotans faced dark days. But as dad always said, we don't complain about things, we fix them. And we did. I held the reins and refused to let fear steal our freedom. And today, we've hit our stride. South Dakota has the best economy in the nation. We're number one in tourism, and more families are choosing to make our state home than ever before. Here, freedom runs free. So saddle up. We're just getting started. Governor Christy Nome. Now that's a campaign ad for her for her job, for re-election to her job as governor of South, South Dakota, obviously. But it sounds like so much more than that, doesn't it? Um, and that ad is running in a lot of places. Um, she is out there, and she is talking to people in the states that hold the first Republican primaries when that calendar starts. She has a lot of kind of a lot of bluster about around her. There are a lot of people saying this could be uh, maybe the, the the right person to pick up the conservative standard and carry it forward if Donald Trump is not going to run again. Among the states where those ads are getting the most clicks, Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, the very first three states uh, to hold primaries. According to an ad library from Meta, Meta is the company that owns Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp now and others, she was the ninth biggest spender on Meta ads in North, uh, excuse me, in New Hampshire and South Carolina from July 5th to July 11th, the tenth biggest spender in Iowa during that same period. Political pundits view Noam, who's a strong supporter and ally of President Trump, as a possible running mate, but also as a contender if Trump decides against running for the White House again. 
She has consistently downplayed any notions of trying to uh, run against Donald Trump or run you know, for president at all. She was asked in that first clip that I played for you there, and she said, I'm confident that he's going to run. I'm counting on him running. We need him to run, she said. His policies were right for the country. He had America right where we needed her uh, when, of course, COVID hit and then, then the, uh, the election fraud hit. But um, she basically told Fox News that she's counting on President Trump running. And if that is to be taken, you know, in 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 two ways, the first would be I have no interest in national politics. President Trump's going to do this. The second way is I'm counting on on him running, and I'm counting on being considered for number two. It is highly likely that Trump will choose a conservative woman as a running mate if and uh, when he finally announces that he is going to run. And Christy Noem, I think, would be a really really strong person for that for that spot. Now, I bring that up to ask you this. I posted about this when I saw it over the weekend on my uh, Truth Social account, which, of course, is Trump's social media account. And I asked the very simple question. Now, you can you can do this two ways, and I'm going to ask you to call on it at 216-901-0945, 216-901-0945. If you uh, haven't written that down yet, do it. Um, and the question is, is Donald Trump notwithstanding... Meaning, remove him from the conversation. Okay? Let's say, for the sake of the discussion, Donald Trump is not going to run. So that's why he's just, he's going to be persona non grata for this conversation. We've got to find the next Republican nominee for President of the United States. Where do you slot Christy Noem? In a field that could include the likes of Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. Mike Pompeo, the former Secretary of State who has harbored presidential ambitions. Mike Pence, Trump's former Vice President, former Governor of Indiana, who has talked about this as well. Um, Tom Cotton, U.S. Senator from Arkansas, who has also drawn a lot of attention about a potential presidential run. And maybe I'll just stop there and let you come up with whatever other ones that you think. Where would you slot Christy Noem in that group? Do you have a favorite? Do you have a top three? If you take Donald Trump out of the equation, and again, I think it's very, very likely he's going to run. As a matter of fact, he made a statement of sorts in which he kind of said, I've made up my mind. It's only a matter of when I'm going to announce it. Um, this was in an interview published by the New York by a New York magazine on Thursday. He said, "I would say my big decision will be whether I go before or after, meaning that he, whether he'll announce before the midterm elections in November or after, which is fine. But for our conversation, if he is not a part of the mix, and for, for by the way, let's be frank." For a lot of people, they don't want him to be a part of the mix. As great as he was and as good of a job as he did and as much appreciation and thanks that we have for that, there are a lot of people who say that President Trump um, has run his course and he brings too much baggage to the scene now and we need him to just kind of stay behind the scenes and help uh, choose the right person to carry America first forward. But but let's not consider Trump for the purpose of this discussion. Where would you slot Christy Noem amongst some of those other names that I just mentioned? Because she is getting very, very aggressive out there on the ad side of things, advertising uh, in uh, uh, you know those states by way of digital advertising, not TV advertising, but in those states where the uh, Republican primaries will begin.
216901-0945 and 888-281-1110. That's the number to get here. Let's go to phones. We're going to talk to Dan in Cleveland first. Dan, thanks for waiting. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning. Go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. Hope, hope all's well. I yes, want sir. to get back uh, on the Pete Buttigieg uh, comment. I'm one of those drivers that has a seven-year-old vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually bought a hybrid um, back in 2015 only because the cost difference between uh, that and a normal car wasn't that great. So I bought it and enjoyed it. And about, I think it was two or three years ago I got my license renewal, and I thought there was a mistake. I, and I called the license bureau. And there's now a $100 renewal fee if you have a hybrid and a $200 renewal fee if you have an electric car. And a lot of people aren't aware of that. Yeah. I called and asked why, and they said, just because of the tax differences, they're not collecting by the gas I'm not using. Right. And I did gas the math tax. on it for, yeah, and I did the math on exactly how much I drive, and it was a difference of $28 a year that they're not collecting in taxes on the difference in the gas. And I'm paying an extra, so I'm paying an extra $75 tax for being, if you want to call it a responsible person. So. <laughs> and for doing what they so want you to do. So let Pete know that. <laughs> That's a great point. That's a great point. They come and get you one way or the other. Thank you, Dan. Oh, hey, Dan, before you go, real quick, because I'm asking yep. everybody, if President Trump is not a consideration, just for the sake of the discussion, I brought up Christy Noem. Do you have Do you have a favorite or a top two or three? Where do you go? 100%. Um, uh, Ron DeSantis won. Mike Pompeo, uh, followed by Tom Cotton, I'd slot her in. And then I'd put uh, uh, our former vice president uh, way down the list. Well answered. Well done. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. You obviously have thought about this a little bit. I didn't even have to hesitate. Appreciate that, Dan. Um, yeah, as far as the gas taxes, they, they've always... Uh, my father-in-law has been driving uh, an all-electric car for like 10 years. Um, almost 10 years. Uh, maybe not quite that many. Um, and not because he's all Mr. Green Energy or anything like that. He's just... He's an engineer. He's an engineer and he's got an engineer mind. He loves the technology of electric vehicles. He just like is out in front of those kind of things. It's the only reason he has it. But anyway, um, yeah, every time he has to renew, uh, you know, he's got to pay that tax. He's got to pay that big uh, tax to, to renew his, his uh, tags uh, because he doesn't use gas. And therefore, they're, he's using the roads, and the roads are paid for by gas taxes. And so since you're not paying gas taxes, then you've got to pay it uh, when you renew. So uh, they do. They come and get you. And whether the dollars add up or not, I'd never heard anybody say that before until Dan just pointed out. So thank you, Dan. Uh, TJ next. Hi, TJ. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, Bob, the problem with this Buttigieg, the myriad of problems to go all electric on cars. Now, just think about it. you got an apartment building with 100 units. How many charging stations are you going to have to put in there to keep these people's cars charged? And that's going to be expensive. So what are they going to do? They're going to pass it off onto the rent. What about people that rent like a double home and they don't have driveway privileges to have to park on the street? How do they charge their car? How many of these charging stations are going to have to be put in across America? I can see the day coming. You're going to have to make an appointment like with a doctor or a dentist to get your car charged. Because there's just no way. TJ, that is one of the best calls you've made because you you hit two things that I because I try to cover all of these things when I talk about the grid and I talk about charging stations and I talk about people's homes but I never thought about the apartment building and there are so many millions of people who live in apartment buildings and you're exactly right are each of them going to have their own charging station or are there going to be a quarter of the amount of the people who live there and you're all just going to have to wait in line to charge uh, and, and and have to move it after you know two hours of charging are you going to have to ration it for those people. 
Uh, as you pointed out as well, people who don't have driveway privileges, who have to park in the streets in heavily congested um, uh, areas and, and, and cities and towns that are, uh, you know, that are just completely overpopulated. You're parking on the street. How do you charge your vehicle? If they try to force us into this, uh, there are so many pitfalls from the infrastructure standpoint that they refuse to even acknowledge. That is a great, great point. Both of those are great points that you make. Yeah, and I want to see what does it cost to have one like, you know, we, just the other day, uh, some drunk hit a pole, and uh, people down a couple blocks away were out of power for a couple of days. Yeah. Well, if they had electric vehicles, how are they going to charge their car? I mean, does that mean you can't go to work for a couple of days because you're waiting for the yeah, uh, it does. Uh, CPP to turn your power back on? Yeah, it pretty much does. And and, and the, the worst part about it, or maybe not the worst, but one of the other elements about it that people don't talk about is, is you know, you, you put all of these charging stations and you're using more and more and more electricity. Where does that electricity come from, TJ? Well, windmills and solar panels, according to Buttigieg. But where does it really come from? It does not come from there. It's less than 3% of, of, of uh, national electric output comes from uh, solar and, and wind. It comes from coal. Or if it doesn't come from nuclear, it's coming from coal and, in some cases, natural gas. That's what provides electricity. And their whole point, of course, is we need to go to this green. And thanks for the call, TJ. We need to go to this green movement here in order to save the planet so we stop drilling for oil and for natural gas and for coal. But meanwhile, we're going to have to mine for coal more than ever before if we're going to be able to provide that much electricity to convert millions of American uh, uh, combustion engines, gasoline-powered engines, to electric vehicle batteries. It's impossible to make sense of this, but don't tell that to Pete Booty Judge. Booty Judge knows uh, that that everybody should be able to just slide into an electric vehicle vehicle without any problem at all. Because after all, some of the costs are starting to come down on some models right now, and because of that, your car payment might be a little higher, but your gas bill will be lower, and you'll come out ahead. In what weird math world do you live? Secretary of Transportation uh, Portation Booty Judge. No, sorry, it's not right. You're not going to come out of On some models, the, the costs come to where even if the, the your car payment's a little higher, your gas payment will be a little lower and you come out ahead. And, and once again, what if I have no car payment? What if I paid my cars off recently or years ago? And the reason I bought instead of leasing is so I wouldn't have a car payment after a certain point in time. And I'll be able to drive car payment free and then take those hundreds of dollars a month that I was paying for my car payment and put it into other things like college funds. Put it into other things like my home. Put it into other things like repairs. Put it into other things like retirement. Now you want me to give up my no-car-payment-having gas-powered vehicle and buy an expensive AEV just so you can lie to the people about what it does to save the planet. When you're going to have to provide the electricity to run your EV with fossil fuels. It is impossible to make sense of these nut jobs. I'll be right back. I have an ear, Pastor Jeff, and I am listening. Keep up that great work. Nancy is in Cleveland next. Hi, Nancy. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead. Hi, how are you? And just to reiterate on, on some of these electric vehicle issues, first of all, what nobody's saying is, how much is it going to cost you to charge your car overnight? 
And then, like that one guy said, he has to pay extra because he's got to, in taxes, because he's when he renews his license, right. okay, well, guess what? If we all go electric, they're just going to pass the gasoline taxes right on to the electric vehicle taxes. It. Better believe it. And, it'll, and it will not be proportional in percentage, as that caller Absolutely. was pointing out. It will and be far more. And then what the apartment more. owners are going to have to do is they're going to have to probably put metered electric chargers because it's going to be too much of a problem to, to uh, wrap it around somebody's uh, rent, right. you know, because of, of people charging at different times and, and different uh, hours. And then uh, the other thing is, somebody told me that an electric vehicle had an accident, caught on fire. The fire department couldn't put it out, so they had to get a backhoe, flip it over, and then throw sand on it. So we're, you know, and electric vehicle probably catch more on fire than a gas-powered car. And then where are they going to throw all of these batteries? Because they're not biodegradable. No, they're not. Renew them. That's another example of why the whole green movement, the Green New Deal movement, and all. And thank you for the call. God bless you. And the whole you know push for renewables and transition away from fossil fuels, all for the sake of the planet. That's another example of how we know it's garbage, because literally those EV batteries do not decompose. They are not biodegradable. So they're either going to overfill every landfill that we have in America, or we're going to be dumping them in the ocean, or both. You better believe it. Same thing with the windmill turbines. Those windmill blades, those turbine blades, those are also non-biodegradable. They do not decompose. They will be here forever, filling landfills. And again, being dumped to the depths of the ocean. All of those telling you they want to look out for the planet. All of those telling you we've got to do something to save the planet. Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in the Biden administration? No, we would would work it out. We We would work it out. No, no place for those things. You're all a bunch of hypocrites. You're going to do just as much, if not more, damage to the planet as fossil fuel drilling and digging has ever done. I'll be back. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Ten thirty nine, always right radio on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Thanks for being with us. You want to hear the rest of that? I started it before the end there, but uh, I don't know. I, you really can't hear it often enough when he promises you. Uh, does Joe Biden when he promises you to end fossil fuels all in the interest of saving the planet? Climate change demands it. We have to do this now. You hear this nut job speak, and then you look at the reality of what electricity comes from, the reality of where all of the materials to make electric car batteries come from, the reality of trying to dispose of these non-biodegradable things where they come from, and you hear them and just makes you, I don't know, does it make you laugh? Does it make you punch things? Does it make you grind your teeth? Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, 
in the Biden administration? No, it would be, we, would, we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel. What about, say, stopping fracking and stopping yes. new pipeline infrastructure? Yes. And, new pipeline. And, and, exactly. and no more, no new fracking. We are going to get rid of fossil fuels. I've argued against uh, any more oil drilling or gas drilling on federal lands. No one's going to build a coal-fired plant again, and we're going to get rid of the ones we have now. Have a transition from the oil industry, yes. Would you be willing to sacrifice some of that growth, even knowing potentially that it could displace thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of blue-collar workers in the interest of transitioning to that greener economy? The answer is yes. And in case you didn't quite catch it... You don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate with you, okay? There it is. And that is exactly what is playing out before our very eyes. As they try to pass the buck for the increase in prices on our fossil fuel-driven gasoline on Vladimir Putin. That's number one. We're also talking about Governor Christy Noem of South Carolina, or South Dakota. Quickly, if the former president decides not to run, is it something you would even consider in 2024? I'm on him running. Yeah, I, he he had America right where we needed her. His policies were right, so I'm counting on him running. She's counting on President Trump running, but the question was to her, if he does not run, are you in? Will you go in? Are you interested? Are you considering? Are you thinking about running for president? So my question that I've asked you this morning is if she do, if President Trump is not a factor, if he chooses not to run, and I think everybody here knows he will, but for the sake of this discussion, especially even for some who say, if he does run, I'm still not voting for him. We can't have the drama. We cannot have everything that he brings because it's going to be four years of hell, given all of their, they're probably going to try to impeach him two or three more times. And a lot of people just are done with it, and they want to move on. They love America First policies. They love what he did for the country, but they need somebody else to pick up the mantle and run with it now, right? That's what a lot of people are saying. So if Trump is not a factor or not uh, you know, a, an issue in this conversation, when you hear the names like Nome, DeSantis, Cotton, um, who else? Who am I missing here? Pompeo? When you hear some of the other names in the Republican field being thrown around, um, where do you slot Christy Noem? How do you rank them? Do you have a top three? I would like to hear them. And why? Because Christy Noem, by the way, is not only just talking about this, she's running ads, um, which essentially are ads promoting tourism to South Dakota as a way of saying, look at what a great job I'm doing in South Dakota. Wouldn't you consider me for something bigger than this? That's just, you know, the... Uh, you know, the unspoken part of this. But where do you put her? 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Uh, Navy man Norm is in Strongsville. Hey, Norm, go ahead, sir. More good news on the electric car field. GM has recalled all 141,000 Chevrolet electric bolt cars spanning six model years. It seems that the LG batteries used in the Chevy Bolt models have two major manufacturing defects that lead to car fires. One is from an NAINODE defective battery module, and it seems there's no repair for them. 141,000 Chevy 
both cars have been recalled, and they haven't figured out how to fix them. And so, what are they re- what are they recalling them to do? So people are bringing in their cars to the dealerships, <laughs> and they're dropping them off, and what? It just says that GM is going to try to pay cash settlements for these cars, and wow. the fact that they cannot they cannot repair them. Parking garages have banned the Chevy Bolt cars from parking. Wow, I did not see that uh-huh. story, I'm, but that's a that's a you know. I, I don't, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a gearhead. Uh, I, I'm certainly not an auto technician. I don't know a ton about repairing cars in the first place, but I have to think, uh, you know, that that this this technology is not something that's tried and true and easy for people to do. You know, I mean, I, I well, not you know, on, no, no, not only that, Bob, but there was just a survey out by um, <clears throat> one of the automotive uh, uh, JD Roberts. It seems that electric cars are 14 times more likely to fail than combustion engine cars, and hybrid cars are 10 times more likely to fail than combustion engine cars. And they're having a hell of a problem finding mechanics to repair these things at the dealership. Well, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, um, all new auto school, uh, or excuse me, auto tech schools, you know, trade schools that teach this stuff have been teaching how to repair and, and maintain, you know, combustion engines for, for decades and decades and decades. So if you haven't learned it, you're probably going to have to go back to school. And if you are just now coming out, you probably have to learn all of this technology. It's going to take a lot of time to staff garages everywhere to be able to do this if this is the way we're moving. Yeah, one of crazy. the things on this bullet, one of the things on this bulletin I'm looking at from GM says, park your vehicle outdoors at night when charging is complete. Do not leave it indoors when you charge it overnight. That's wow. going to be fun. Wow, that's that's incredible. That's incredible. Um, Norm, uh, I appreciate that info. But before you go, if Donald Trump is not a factor. What names are are the top two or three at your list? Because it sounds like Christy Nome is is testing the waters in uh, probably for a vice presidential thing as much as anything, but she's testing the waters in the first primary states with a few ads being targeted there. What are your thoughts? DeSantis for president, Christy Nome for VP. That's my ticket. No thoughts on Pompeo, Cotton, or anyone else? Uh, Cotton, Cotton would be my second choice. Yeah, Cotton Cr- would be my second choice. But but not for VP. Who? But not for VP though. You wouldn't go DeSantis Cotton. You 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 just said uh, DeSantis Noam is. But so so Cotton would be right. what? Yeah, Cotton would be my second choice for president. Okay, no, I just assumed Noam would have been your second choice for president since since you put, uh, said her for VP. No, no, I would pass on that. But Got before it. I go, I just want to say one thing. Yeah, I think the elect- the EUVs need a uh, a music slogan salute. Great Balls of Fire by Jerry Lee Lewis. <laughs> That's very well done. I like that. <laughs> God bless Thank you, Norm. Appreciate, appreciate the call. Steve is in Collinwood next. Always Right Radio. Hi, Steve. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, I, I was uh, thinking along the same lines that, uh, you know, a good mechanic is more important than your passive, especially if you're driving. So you can keep the vehicles. You'd have to have Scotty from Star Trek to look <laughs> under the hood. 
Yeah, right. I mean, uh, you know, I know a lot of people who know a lot about cars, and I would call, you know, if I don't want to pay for the repair or if it's something that's more simple, and I'll call a buddy, hey, can you help me do this or that or the other thing, because I'm not really good at it, and they know how. But now, if, if, if you put this new technology under the hood uh, or under the, under the car itself or however it is, I think those batteries are pretty much the entire floor of the car underneath. Well, they weigh you, a ton. Yeah. If you, they uh, weigh a ton. Yeah, they, if if you put if you put all of these in people's garages and driveways, I mean, people aren't going to be able to fix their own vehicles, are they? They're all going to be subject to the extraordinary high rates of dealer repairs. And, and the battery weighs so much that the car, the rest of the car, is made of uh, uh, recycled aluminum from stuff we send over to China, and uh, it's pl- and plastic. And I drive. I've got a Buick. I got three cars, but I got a Buick Riviera, an older one. It's like driving your couch around. And that's what I like. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a great point that you make there. I appreciate it. Real quick, thoughts on the uh, the GOP with Christy Noem uh, kind of making a little noise here. If Donald Trump is not the guy, who who do you where do you lean? Are you still there? Because you know I'm hearing myself in delay now. Uh, we got to run. I appreciate the call, but we can't do that. Thanks for uh, for the call. Let's go to Jan in uh, Greater Cleveland next. Hi, Jan. You're on the air. Go ahead. Oh, hi. I like Pompeo. I think he's uh, he's got a lot to offer. He's very intelligent, and uh, I like a lot he's of other so people, too. so intelligent. He is so intelligent. I'm not to say that others aren't, but he's one of these guys. There's very few people like this, Jan, that whenever he comes on the screen, I feel like I'm being educated, and whenever he's giving speeches or or anything of that nature, I feel like he's the smartest man in every room he walks into, and he speaks with clarity. He doesn't talk over your head like an academic. He's he's brilliant, but he is very very relatable. I like Mike Pompeo a lot. Yeah, well, I have a comment about uh, Buttigieg. I hope his husband uh, handles finances because it, apparently he learned socialism very good at his father's knee, but he stinks at math. <laughs> So out of touch, a lot of middle-class people don't even make $56,000 in a year, and some of them almost takes two years. So they act like they're for the little man, and they are, I'm sorry, in, in one word, they're ignorant. Thanks, thanks, Bob. Yeah, don't be sorry, Jan. Thanks for the call. Uh, don't be sorry that they're ignorant. Uh, that's their problem. <laughs> of course, it becomes our problem when they foist their ignorance upon us. But no, don't be uh, don't be shy about saying it. They are. And again, the idea that he doesn't even consider and what you know, I, look, I'm not I'm not the 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 proclaiming myself to be the greatest interviewer in the world. And and oftentimes the things that I'm talking about are, uh, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty. I'm armchair quarterbacking. But I hate listening to interviews where the next question, you know, that should be asked isn't asked. And that's what happened here in this interview in which he said, you know, your car payments might go up a little, but your gas bill will go down, so you'll come out ahead. What about people whose car payment goes from zero to $450 a month? Am I going to save $450 a month in gas? And what about the fact that I'm going to have to pay for the electric charges? They're going to have to be metered electric charges for people to, to char- especially if they don't live at home, in a home, rather, where they put their own 220 line in their garage, which is not cheap, by the way, to run that anyway. But if they can't charge it at their own, if they've got to use the apartment complexes or or, or the uh, grocery stores or the your workplace, you know, and you're going to have to pay. You're probably going to have to swipe to buy two hours of charging time. It's not as if it's going to be free. 
But 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 how do you tell people who have no car payments at all, who are driving older cars that they intentionally bought because they knew they would last a good ten years? They're going to pay for it for five, you know, five year usually a five year car loan, and then they're going to drive car loan car payment free for five years. And that's what the plan was. And then they're going to take that money and apply it to other parts of their their budgets and their lives. Now you're telling people sell that paid for a car of yours, get an EV which is going to cost probably twice what you paid for that car in the first place, and then uh, pay $450, $550 payments for the next uh, five or six years. That's what he's yeah, essentially some models, saying. The, the costs come to where, even if the, the your car payment's a little higher, your gas payment will be a little lower, and you come out ahead. But No, you don't. You don't, and she's right. Hopefully your husband keeps the books in your house because you're a train wreck. I'll be right back. You rattle my brain Then that lead drives a man insane You broke my wind Oh, goodness gracious. 10.55 now. Always right radio on AM 1420. The answer. Great balls of fire was a great poll. This was not bad either, by the way. That's, that's, that's pretty good stuff. Speaking of Pete Booty Judge and uh, his husband, as uh, the previous caller pointed out, doing the doing the numbers, let's hit an LGBTQ story for a second here because, again, the insanity reigns supreme. Leah Thomas, the uh, dude who swam against the girls, he was a terrible swimmer, like ranked in the 500s or something like that nationally when he was swimming for the men's team at the University of Pennsylvania, says, I'm a chick, and gets to swim against the women and the wins a national championship. <laughs> Um, if that wasn't bad enough, what he did to the actual female competitors in that sport, and they only, during the during the season, of course, they couldn't say a word. They could not say a word. They just had to smile and nod along and clap and say, yay, Leah, Ooh, we're happy for you, we're proud of you. Meanwhile, they're fuming because they don't have a chance against a male swimmer. But uh, they they spoke out after the season, and now they're speaking out again after this latest slap in the face to women. Kentucky swimming star Riley Gaines is done with it all. She's had it. She's not having it anymore. Leah Thomas has been named as one of its two, uh, one of the University of Pennsylvania's two nominees for the National Collegiate Athletic Association 2022 Woman of the Year Awards. The NCAA's Woman of the Year includes a male nominee. Being the real girl in that photo, and also University of Kentucky's nominee for the NCAA Women of the Year Award, this is yet another slap in the face to women. First, a female national title, and now nominated for the Pinnacle Award in Collegiate Athletics. The NCAA has made this award worthless. End quote. That was the tweet from Kentucky swimmer Riley Gaines. She went on to say, this award combines athletic performance with academics, service, and character. What character has Thomas shown other than sheer selfishness and entitlement? The disrespect and disregard for the other female athletes in Thomas' interviews uh, is eye-opening. Thank God for this woman. As a matter of fact, she's the one with real character. 
She's the one with real character. She's the one with real courage because she knows speaking out against somebody in the LGBTQXYZ fraternity of attention seekers, which is all that they are, attention-starved individuals, speaking out against them runs the risk of her getting canceled. And she's still willing to stand up and fight and say what needs to be said. She should win the Woman of the Year Award simply for being willing to stand up and call this out for what it is. We'll take a time out now. we got news coming up. We're going to talk to Josh Hammer, syndicated columnist writing a piece for Newsweek. He says Joe Biden should resign. I disagree with him. That conversation coming up next. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. I'm old enough to remember when presidents in their 70s could actually speak coherently. How about you? I get inspired every time we open up our hours with one of those Reagan quotes. Just phenomenal. Welcome. Hour number three is underway now. Nine minutes past 11 o'clock on this Monday, the 18th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord 2022. Appreciate you being with us. Joe Biden. Well, let me see. Let me see if I can introduce our, our guest. With my favorite uh, description so far. I love the alliteration in this. The doddering dolt from Delaware. <laughs> that's what we're, that's, uh, that's what we're calling Joe Biden, at least for now and maybe into the uh, foreseeable future. The doddering dolt from Delaware. That was the, uh, uh, the phrase used to describe him by Josh Hammer, syndicated columnist, Newsweek opinion editor, host of the Josh Hammer Show, as well as a research fellow with the Edmund Burke Foundation. Josh, good to have you back on the air here in Cleveland. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Hope you're off to a good start this week. I was when I read Doddering Dolt from Delaware. That, I mean, that kind of sums it up. That, that's just uh, that's a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good description. You're calling for Joe's resignation in your latest piece that I read on uh, Newsweek's website. I don't subscribe to it. I apologize for that. But um, you're one of the few right, uh, rays of bright light within it. Uh, and so let's talk about yours. Resign, Joe Biden. You make an uh, you make a, a very articulate case. Because Joe Biden is so inarticulate and is so clumsy with what he says and where he says it and when he says it, that you're afraid that he's going to lead us into something that we can't get out of. Can you tell us more? Sure. So, look, I, I am obviously a very public-facing, open 
right winger. I don't pretend that Joe Biden is going to listen to my counsel when I am counseling him to resign. I am merely saying that he should. And he should because he is astoundingly, catastrophically inept at this. To make just a very, very, very obvious point. And look, I, you know, comparisons to Jimmy Carter, I think, are obvious. You know, the Middle East is up in flames, as, as it was under Carter. Oil, inflation are obviously are, are at remarkable highs right now. If anything, that's too flattering to Carter, though. What's remarkable is the Trump administration had various successes. Let, let's kind of stick solely with foreign policy just for a moment here, because you know, I focused on this in the column a little bit. And, you know, we all know about Joe Biden's myriad domestic woes with respect to four-decade-high inflation, a horrible situation at the southern border, things of that. The Trump administration, whatever it was, whether it was Russia, China, the Middle East, Things were, things were going really well. Trump had remarkable successes in China. He reset that relationship for the first time since the Nixon presidency. He achieved the first comprehensive Middle East peace accords in 25 years. All Biden had to do, that is, when he came into office in January 2021, is not mess it up. And, you know, sure enough, that's exactly what he's done all across the board. And he's done so not only because he has terrible ideas, because he, he is morally and intellectually bankrupt when it comes to his actual view of the world, which he is, but because he is just so remarkably weak and incompetent. And in the column that you very kindly noted, the couple of things that I, that I mentioned there, you know, back in March in Warsaw, Poland, you know, this is about a month after Russia invaded Ukraine, he veered off script. And he said that Vladimir Putin, quote-unquote, cannot remain in power. Well, you know, generations of Cold War-era U.S. presidents, back at the days of the Cuban Missile Crisis, whether it's Eisenhower, Kennedy, LBJ, Nixon, you name it, they knew never to call for the Kremlin to actually be deposed. Because you're talking about a nuclear-armed hegemon that has thousands of nuclear weapons. They knew better than to do that. Simultaneously, at the same time, around that in, in late May, I think it was, Joe Biden said that if Beijing actually invades Taiwan, we will defend Taiwan. He called for the U.S. to go to war to defend Taiwan if need be. That is not what the U.S. has agreed to do under the relevant statutory law of the 1979 Taiwan Relations Act. So what I really worry here is not just that he's an idiot, which he is. I don't merely worry that he's a bad person, which he is. D.E.G. Bob Bork and Clarence Thomas for indications of how putrid of a character Joe Biden is. What I'm really worried about here is that his tongue is going to slip us into World War III. And as horrific as Kamala Harris is, and I have you know, no doubt whatsoever as to how terrible she is, she didn't get a single delegate to the Democratic National Convention in 2020. She's less popular in many respects than venereal disease itself. But however bad she is, I trust her a little less to avoid World War III, and that's basically my bottom line conclusion. You know, Josh, we're talking to Josh Hammer, syndicated columnist, Newsweek opinion editor. I was going to retort when you when you called for Biden to resign over his uh, his his loose tongue and his uh, his dementia addled brain or whatever cognitive decline that he is suffering, whatever the reason that is. I was going to retort with I am here standing here on the northern flank, on the eastern flank. So Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Okay. <laughs> A friend in need is a friend in need. <laughs> okay. okay. So this time... These are foreign policy moments as well, Josh, that um, I have to admit, 
I, I, I don't know if I agree that, it, that that a forced resignation of Joe Biden would do us good if she's our representation to the rest of the world. Joe might slip and get us into World War III with something he says. She just might inspire an attack on America because of these just striking and shocking incompetence and ignorance and stupidity that projects from her mouth on world stages. She did these things in places in foreign countries where everyone in the national press is watching and she just humiliates herself and the country. So, I mean, we're left between, you know, do we want to die by fire or by ice? Either way, if either one of these two people are in charge, we're in jeopardy. Right. Yeah, this is not a particularly appealing choice, to put it mildly here. I mean, that that clip that you just played, you know, Russia's a big country, Ukraine's a small country. I mean, this is the analysis that you might expect from a third grader, right? I mean, I mean, it is not particularly sophisticated foreign, foreign policy a, analysis. A poor, a poor third grade student, by the way. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, right? I, I, I guess what it comes back to for me, because I'm a conservative, obviously, from a, from, from a conservative perspective, certainly from a you know, capital law Republican GOP perspective here, I think it would be easier to kind of assuage and reassure our allies across the world that if Kamala Harris were president, we could just say, oh, you know, she's an idiot, but she'll, but she'll be out of here in 2024. For Joe Biden, I, 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 first of all, the very fact that he was a former vice president of Barack Obama when it comes to things like the Middle East. He just, he just got back from the Middle East. He's trying to kind of continue the horrific Obama legacy there in the Middle East. I think that's a bit of a tougher sell because there's a much longer kind of arc here. There's a real trajectory going back now, you know, 14 years when Obama was elected to kind of, uh, you know, so it's a much more difficult argument to say that we're actually just going to change this in 2024 because Biden is really kind of committed, I think, a bit more than Kamala Harris. He doesn't really have many thoughts on these issues, guys, with these conscious a moron to be to be totally candid here. Yeah. But you know the other thing here is that she's not a Kamala's a low IQ figure, but I do think that she is less likely to just catastrophically go off script and just commit these sort of gaps where Vladimir Putin quote unquote cannot remain in power. Again, I can't, I cannot emphasize enough. You know, after he said that, all the kind of folks who, you know, in my Twitter feed who have these vivid memories of the Cold War, who worked in the Reagan administration, worked in the, in the Gerald Ford administration, they, their eyes shot up. They're like, oh, my God. Like, we knew never to say something like this whatsoever. And, you know, Biden landed in Israel last Wednesday. He kind of, he literally gets down from an airplane. He sees Nate. He goes, what am I doing here? And then a few minutes later, he, he stumbles his way to a microphone, and he speaks about the truth and honor of the Holocaust. Like, aren't you kidding? Like, again, like, if this is 20 years ago, maybe it's like old Uncle Joe, he's just, he's just gaffed from whatever. This man is not, and it is just so profoundly embarrassing from an American patriotic perspective to see someone so clearly in the throes of mental and intellectual decline. So as horrible as Kamala Harris is, and I have no doubts to how horrible he is, or she is, excuse me here, I, I think I would roll the dice with her, but it's really not an appealing choice. <laughs> yeah, think. yeah, it, it 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 is. Like I said, it's fire or ice. We're talking to Josh Hammer, a Newsweek opinion editor. He's a syndicated columnist, host of the Josh Hammer Show as well. Josh, what did you make of the fist bump heard around the world? So I actually i am not going to join the chorus of criticism with respect to people criticizing him for going to Saudi Arabia and meeting with Mohammed bin Salman. I actually have some counterintuitive thoughts um, uh, on Saudi Arabia and Jamal Khashoggi, perhaps. Jamal Khashoggi did not deserve to die. So I I want to clarify that. And it sounds like the Saudis really messed that up in in their consulate in in Istanbul. But what happened to Jamal Khashoggi, I think, is best explained, actually, as some of my friends like Dave Raboy 
have really kind of uh, explicated, I think, quite clearly. It's best explained as kind of a Qatari influence operation. And it, it happened during the Trump administration. It was really best explained, I think, as a way to try to realign America's Middle East, you know, away from the Saudis, away from the Egyptians, back towards the Iranians, towards the Muslim Brotherhood, towards the various Islamist actors in the region, which, of course, is what Barack Obama wanted to do here. Saudi Arabia, obviously, is a theocratic regime, but Mohammed bin Salman is actually a fairly reform-minded leader. You know, women are driving in Saudi Arabia for the first time. They have this kind of Saudi 2030 economic vision where they're really trying to diversify their economy away from being kind of a, a one-issue petro state for the first time here. The Saudis very clearly signed off on the Abraham Accords under Trump. There's no way you have the UAE and Bahrain agreeing to make peace, peace with Israel without the Saudis imprimatur without their signing off on that. So uh, I thought Biden was totally wrong, all that to say, on the campaign trail to say that he wanted to make Saudi a pariah. No, the way, Saudi Arabia, whatever their, their issues may be, they are, from a transactional, hard-headed, realist national security perspective, a very important ally, actually, with, with respect to kind of containing Iranian hegemony in the region and things of that nature here. To say nothing, of course, of oil and energy and, and things like that, where they're obviously important as a leading OPEC member as well. So I'm not going to join the core of critics for, for him for, for meeting with Mohammed bin, bin Salman, but I will underscore that from an energy perspective, it, it, it does not seem like Biden was able to acquire what he wanted out of that trip. He didn't actually get a firm commitment from the Saudis to actually boost oil production, probably because he's just not very good again at what he does, that is President Biden. And it's unfortunate that he had to kind of come begging for scraps to try to reset this relationship with the Saudis because Biden himself was the one who who really messed that relationship up. You know, it's funny, if you go back to 2017, I think it was May 2017, Donald Trump's very first foreign visit, literally his first foreign trip as president of the United States, was to Riyadh, it was to Saudi Arabia, because his administration understood that they were they are a linchpin of American geostrategy in that region, whatever their, you know, their, their uh, Sharia qualms, whatever it may be. So Trump intuited that, and it's really unfortunate that Biden has had to just kind of beg for scraps to get back just to where we were five years ago there. You know, I'm glad you brought up the energy portion of that because I was I was speaking of the Khashoggi situation and the fact that he essentially fist bumped and which is worse than a handshake in my view. I think one of the reasons people got frustrated by that too is they claimed well that this was about uh, COVID, but yet he was shaking hands with everybody everywhere else. It's like every other one is a handshake ever. And when you do the fist bump, it's what friends do, it's what buddies do, it's what pals do. If I met you and we went out for a beer, I might fist bump you when you left or the next time I saw you again. It's not something you do to somebody who is you know known to. Be uh, an extraordinary human rights violator, and of course a murderer of Khashoggi. So the whole situation with the fist bump looked like he's like, "Hey, pal, how are you?" And then the second part, which I'm glad you brought up, was the fact that he was there to beg for scraps, to beg for them to, to produce more oil. And you know, unless I'm mistaken, um, Saudi Arabia is on a, not on a different planet, is it? I think Saudi Arabia, and I think Venezuela, and I think Russia, I think all the countries we've been going to, to increase their energy output because we refuse to drill for more of it here and frack for it and so forth and explore for it, is because we're supposed to be saving the planet. Unless those countries are on other planets, what the hell is the difference where the oil comes from? Yeah, totally. It's very well said. The the entire the entire paradigm. I mean, simultaneously, literally earlier this month, as I saw headlines as recent as earlier this very month, this month of July 2022, that Joe Biden was still denying oil and natural gas drilling permits up in Alaska and the Arctic Refuge up there off the coast of, of Texas and the Gulf of Mexico. He's been repeatedly denying drilling permits here while going to beg to the Saudis. 
his administration has even kind of opened the possibility of, of directly beseeching the Iranian regime, which, you know, which is a sworn enemy, of course, of the United States for oil. So the, the whole thing makes no sense whatsoever. As you say, climate change, global warming, whatever you want to call it, you know, whatever the the substantive kind of uh, policy arguments, you know, for and against uh, drastic draconian reductions and all that stuff may be, this is a fundamentally global issue. So if the U.S. is going to unilaterally disarm while simultaneously going abroad, first of all, you know, that's literally throwing your own people under the bus, your own producers, your own manufacturers, your own people, your own workers under the bus. That is bad enough here. But it also is just completely illogical for the obvious reason that you say, which is that, again, climate change, global warming, the ozone layer, not exactly my area of expertise, but whatever the arguments may or may not be on both sides of that, it's a fundamentally global problem. So it's not like, you know, the U.S. is necessarily going to be better off if they start drilling stuff in the Middle East or India, China, whatever, and we don't do it here. No, it's going to be the exact same effect. So you might as well just have our own people do it. But again, this administration has made its energy priorities very, very clear. They literally stopped the Keystone XL pipeline on day one of the administration, January 21st, 2021. They literally could not wait till the end of the first day to nix that. But at the end of the day, the Democratic Party currently is is a dog that is wagged by a very, very, very heavy-handed tail that is basically a tail that is in cahoots with very specific interest groups. And folks like the, the pro-abortion lobby and the green lobby, the climate change lobby, are probably the two most powerful groups, I would say, in the current modern Democratic Party coalition. Yeah, which is which is a devastating reality. Uh, Josh Hammer. Josh, so just to clarify and to wrap it up, if you get rid of... True international depression. We're left with... You know, when we talk about our children, I know for this group, we all believe that when we talk about the children of the community, they are the children of the community. You're cool with that, right? <laughs> Uh, I'm very, very reluctantly cool with it for the next two years until we can get rid of her in 2024. God willing. God willing. Josh Hammer, opinion editor at Newsweek and the host of The Josh Hammer Show. Josh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Great work. Thanks so much. 1124, Always Right Radio, quick time out, and right back on AM 1420, The Answer. True International. You know, I was just uh, talking with Josh Hammer about <clears throat> who would be worse, who who puts us in more jeopardy on the international stage. Is it Kamala or is it uh, is it Trinidad or pressure guy? Um, it's kind of uh, interesting. Maybe the most embarrassing of the group is Jill Biden. First of all, Jill Biden played the uh, the taco card. We've all heard that time and again. Uh, where she described a whole bunch of people in a Hispanic audience as like a whole bunch of different unique breakfast tacos. That went over really well. This, to me, is even worse. While delivering a speech in front of a bunch of donors on Nantucket on Saturday, she complained that poor, poor, poor Joe, he's just been hit, being hit with, with too many crises. He, he, he's just not getting a break, the poor guy. Quote, he had so many hopes and plans for things he wanted to do, but every time you turned around, he had to address the problems of the moment, end quote. She's upset that the president has to deal with 
a multitude of problems while trying to advance an agenda. Because that's never happened before. No president has ever had to try to advance his own agenda, but then also have to deal with problems that arise. No, that never happens. And by the way, it certainly didn't happen for the four years that preceded this particular president's term, as he had to deal with not only getting his agenda advanced, but dealing with the problems and dealing with the most disgusting, reprehensible, unfair press coverage in the history of the American presidency. But she's frustrated. Quote, he's had his, he's just had so many things thrown his way. Who would have ever thought about what happened? Roe v. Wade? Well, maybe we saw it coming, but still, we didn't believe it. And, and the gun violence in this country is absolutely appalling, and we didn't see the war in Ukraine coming. And there were supposed to be some areas of focus, but then when we got there, I had to be with all that was happening, first lady of the moment. And I had to take trips to Wa- Wasika, and I'm hoping it's because they just don't know how to spell uh, um, Waukesha, Wisconsin, just like she didn't know what a bodega was and called it a bogota. After a man targeted a Christmas parade with his car and her trip to Ukraine to visit the First Lady there, she's upset that poor Joe's just not catching a break. Can you believe this woman? Joe Biden has had the most favorable press coverage ever because he's not orange. He's not Trump. And they have treated him with kid gloves because of it. And his approval rating is still in the low 30s. That's not, that's not crises causing your, your husband's problems there, Dr. Jill. These are problems of his own creation. These are decisions that he made from the moment he walked in. The moment he got there, he made decisions that have led to all of this self-manufactured inflation, the verge of a recession, the crisis at the border, All of it. Crime, guns, all of it he's been wrong on. This isn't isn't Joe being victimized by moments. This is Joe being the moment that victimizes America. Right back. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. Always Right Radio indeed. Thanks for being with us. It's 11.38. We've got about seven minutes or so left before the <clears throat> uh, before Bill O'Reilly takes us to the top of the hour. So make sure you stick around for that as well. I want more votes. I want more opinions on the question I asked about Christy Noem last hour. Christy Noem, the governor of South Dakota, is one of the most popular conservative governors in America. She is uh, just a breath of fresh air. She uh, speaks, you know, in a very direct language. She doesn't tiptoe around these things. She's very Trumpish. She's very Trumpian, if you will. Um, and I like that. And she is a huge fan of President Trump. But she is out there making noise. What kind of noise? The kind of noise that people make before they decide they're going to run for president. Or the kind of noise that they make when they uh, essentially want people to know that they might make a very good vice president for a certain former president running again. But she is... Um, She's running ads in some of the online, on digital, according to Meta, uh, in the first three primary states on the Republican calendar for the 2024 
uh, campaign, and that would be uh, Iowa and um, um, uh, New Hampshire and why can I not think of the third? South Carolina. Iowa, New Hampshire, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. She's running this ad, which sounds like it's just an ad for South Dakota tourism, but it's certainly much, much more than that. Get back on that horse and ride. It's what my father taught me since I was a little girl. His sweat built our ranch, and his love held our family together. But it all came crashing down when Dad died in a tragic accident. I lost my hero, and we nearly lost our livelihood. Through grit and God's grace, we kept going, and our ranch was saved. Over the last two years, South Dakotans faced dark days. But as Dad always said, we don't complain about things. We fix them. And we did. I held the reins and refused to let fear steal our freedom. And today, we've hit our stride. South Dakota has the best economy in the nation. We're number one in tourism, and more families are choosing to make our state home than ever before. Here, freedom runs free. So saddle up. We're just getting started. I think... I think that's kind of a tri-fold ad. I think it's triple. It's uh, it's 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 three. You know, it's got three prongs to it. Number one is for her re-election as governor. Number two is South Dakota's awesome. Come here, and as she pointed out, it's a its population is growing massively as people come to South Dakota. So come to South Dakota to live or to visit and and be a tourist. And the number three is look at the job that I did against COVID. When things uh, got very, you know, fearful around here, we didn't, you know, we, we fixed it. And they did. And they did not shut down their schools. They did not shut down. They were very DeSantis and Florida-like up in South Dakota. So one of the very best in that regard. So she's running that ad, and then she was doing an interview on Fox in which she was asked, hey, are you thinking about maybe running for president? And this is just Kim Reynolds picked up the phone, asked me to come to this conference, and I said, absolutely, I'll do anything for Kim. So quickly, if the former president decides not to run, is it something... You would even consider in 2024. I'm on him running. Yeah, I, he he had America right where we needed her. His policies were right, so I'm counting on him running. Counting on him running, he had America right where we needed her. And that's fine. I have no problem with that. Maybe she is looking at potentially being a running mate for him. But I was asking last hour, and I know we don't have a ton of time here uh, to take calls or anything, but uh, maybe on the sound off page, or sound off button rather, on uh, alwaysright.us, maybe you could uh, leave a little message there. Where do you slide... Christy Nome in in the rankings of potential non-Trump candidates. If you are about somebody other than Trump, or if you just don't think maybe that Trump is going to run, um, where do you slide her with the DeSantis, with the um, uh, Mike Pompeo, with the Tom Cottons? Uh, there's some other names uh, that are that are floating around, uh, but I'm just kind of curious as to where you see her fitting in uh, and whether or not she's somebody you would consider. Because I have to tell you, there is a lot to like about her. She is a straight talker, she is a straight shooter, and she has done great things with South Dakota. Um, and, I, and I'm going to be honest with you here. I'm looking. I'm, I'm, I'm on the market. You know what I am? I am what I think are going to be one of, one of what I think is going to be millions, perhaps, free agent Republican voters when 2024 rolls around. We're free agents. Make me the best offer. Make me the best offer and bring me onto your team. So it's a sports analogy, but I think it works. Donald Trump, if he runs and he wants to sign me as a, as a Trump voter, make me an offer. Make me a pitch. 
Give me the reasons, not just your record, because you did terrific things. If it was only about the record, it would be a no-brainer. Terrific things with the economy, with national security, with foreign policy, with the southern border, with unemployment. Uh, It was phenomenal. But it's about more than that. Make your pitch. Give me an offer. Christy Noem, give me an offer. Tom Cotton, give me an offer. Ron DeSantis, give me an offer. I'm an open, I'm a free agent, man. You want my vote in the primaries in 2024? I am open. I am not all in on Trump or no one. I am all in on the best person in that primary to win in the general. Maybe you're one of them, too. I would love to uh, start the show tomorrow with a whole bunch of messages at alwayswrite.us. Click the sound off button. Leave me your answer. Where are you in that race? Thanks so much for being a part of the show today. All Let's, let's say it together now. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.